I'll be reading from Proverbs chapter 1, 1 through 9 verses. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, and judgment, and equity, to give subtly to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. To understand a proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise and their dark sayings. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. My son, hear the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother. For they shall be an ornament of grace unto thy head, and chains about thy neck. Well, it is good to see everyone this morning. Glad that you're able to be out and be with us. We have several who are either traveling or not feeling well. Something's going on, and uh, let's keep them in our prayers for sure. Just as Brother Ron had stated a few moments ago, we've come to that time of year when the year is done. It's over, practically, isn't it? We're going to head into a new year. And of course, any time we come to the beginning of a new year, people begin to think about things that are new. Begin to think about ways in which we can improve the coming uh, coming year, whether uh, changing ourselves in some way or changing our circumstances or whatever the case may be. Some people change uh, themselves and their circumstances by getting new jobs at the beginning of a year or whatever the case may be. And there's nothing wrong with that. We need to always take a look at what we've done and what we've done well and what we've done not so well. I think we need to do that individually. We need to do that collectively. Any organization needs to do that. I believe as a as a body of Christians that the White Oak Church of Christ has had some great successes this year. And I believe any time a congregation of the Lord's people sows the seed of God, uh, I believe that He will give the increase. He has never asked us to give the increase. He has only asked us to sow the seed. And I think that if we do that, our work in the vineyard has been successful. But we need to look at our success in the same ways in which Paul looked at his successes and achievements. Notice how he saw the achievements and the successes in his life. <clears throat> Philippians three thirteen, Paul said, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. You see what Paul did, he was able to stop for a moment, he was able to analyze what had happened in his life, he saw the good things, he saw the bad things, and he took that information and he said, I'm moving forward. If you see something bad in your life that needs to be changed, simply change it and move forward. If you see something that was successful in your life, Enjoy that for a moment, be proud of that success, and then move forward building up on that success. We cannot, as the saying goes, sit on our laurels. And we can't sit around saying, well, it's been such a bad year, we just are going to give up. 
Well, that's not what anyone ought to do in their personal lives, in their uh, work lives, in their spiritual lives, in any aspect of their lives. <clears throat> that's not what any of us ought to do. And so, I think that we ought to uh, look as any, again, fruitful organization ought to do, look back over what has happened, what we've been fortunate enough to attain, and understand at the same time that every great thing that has happened to any individual or organization in this world has happened because of the blessings of God. All good and perfect gifts, James said, come down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning, James 1.17. And again, if we get out and we plant the seed, uh, Paul made the statement, he said, I've planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase, 1 Corinthians 6. Or, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 3, 6. And so that ought to be our idea of what we ought to do. <clears throat> but I want us to think for just a moment as well. Think about any success you've had in your lives. Think about any company that you can think of, or organization that has been successful. Do you realize that they built upon something or they never would have been successful? I remember someone telling me one time, he said, uh, you know, if you're going to be successful, you've got to get up and you've got to do something. The person who sits under the shade tree all day long is not building up on anything. Of course, they had that uh, idea in, in view of the business world, but that's the truth, isn't it? Tell me how many people you know who just simply lay around, they don't do anything, they don't use the foundations that they have to build upon. They don't have a good work ethic. They don't have uh, uh, the mindset to want better, to desire things. I was at the hospital over here at Erlanger, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Friday night, and I'd gone down to the cafeteria, and there was a lady working there, and someone came through and asked her about she was still working. She said, I've got to work. And she turned to me, and she said, I like to have some nice things. She said, I like a 401k. You know, so she's going to work, and she's going to build on the foundation that she has. You know what her foundation was initially? A great work ethic. So we all have a foundation upon which we can build, but we need to build upon that foundation because if we just sit around and do nothing, nothing good is going to happen. It reminds me of the man <clears throat> one time who was being honored in a city as the city's leading citizen. And he was called upon during this uh, honorary banquet to tell about his life and how he came to be so successful. He looked out over the crowd and he said, Friends and neighbors, he said, I first came here 30 years ago. I walked into town on a muddy street with only the suit on my back, the shoes on my feet, and every earthly possession I had wrapped in a red handkerchief which I carried over my back on a stick. He said, today I'm the chairman of the board of the bank. I own hotels, apartment buildings, office buildings, three companies with branches in 49 cities. I'm on the boards of all the leading clubs. He said, yes, friends, your city has been very good to me. Following that banquet, a, a youngster approached him and he said, Sir, could you tell me what you had in that red handkerchief that you had tied to a stick slung over your shoulders? You walked into this city 
on muddy streets with nothing but the suit on your back and the shoes on your feet and whatever was in that handkerchief. He looked down at that young man he thought for a moment. He said, well, son, I think it was about a half a million dollars in cash and 900000 in bank bonds. Well, he certainly had a foundation. He had something on which to build, didn't he? And we need... Now, most of us probably don't have 500000 tied up in a handkerchief or 900000 in government bonds or bank bonds, but we do have something. We have a drive... We have a desire, or at least we ought to have that. And so, just like that man, we've got something as a body of Christ's church, as a body of His people. We've got the foundation on which to build. Notice what Paul said, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11, For other foundation can no man lay than it is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Later on, he would say, 2 Timothy two nineteen. He said, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are His. And let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. You know, but long before Paul was a successful follower of God, there was another man who understood about building on a good foundation. The great King David had a son named Solomon. Solomon understood what it was and what it meant to build on something good, that doesn't mean Solomon was perfect. And from time to time, he was he was uh, uh, t- taken astray by the desires in this life. He came back from that, but nonetheless, he knew how to build. And he built on things, and he knew how to successfully build. Now, I want us to take a statement read for us this morning. I want us to look at Solomon's ideas on how to have success. That's the title of the sermon this morning. How to have success. And I want us to, to begin with what Solomon began with. Solomon was practical. That's our first point. He was practical. And for Solomon to be practical in his obedience to God, he had to first recognize the truth. He had to know what God had supplied him and he had to look at it and he had to uh, use it for his betterment and for the betterment of Israel. Now fortunately for us, God saw to preserve for us the Proverbs of Solomon so we could come to a better understanding of His truth. Now we don't live under the Old Testament law. We don't live under anything that is stated in the Proverbs, the Psalms, the, the Pentateuch, the prophets or anything else. We live under New Testament law. But we have been given the old law so that we might learn from it. Whatsoever things written aforetime were written for our learning, Paul said. So let's take an example of something written aforetime. And he was talking about the Old Testament. Let's take an example of that and let's learn how to be practical. And let's learn how to recognize the truth. His Proverbs were... uh, Preserved for us. Now, Proverbs are not anything that is peculiar to the Bible. There are Proverbs throughout the world. Uh, a proverb is distilled wisdom that is found in any culture. For instance, look before you leap. Right? We've all heard that. A stitch in time saves nine. Whatever that means. I've heard that my whole life. A penny saved is a penny earned. Early to bed, early to rise makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. 
Those are all examples of English proverbs, right? And those are normally the proverbs that, that we read or that we've been accustomed to in our nation. But there is also a Zulu proverb that says, He who walks into a thunderstorm must put up with the hailstones. Okay, well that makes sense. There's a Scandinavian proverb that says, Mix gray locks and golden and spoil two heads. Love makes an old man blind. Well, those are probably sage human sayings. But the Proverbs of the Bible are far more than that. They go beyond that. They embody the philosophy of heaven. Not the philosophy of, philosophy of, uh, of uh, earthly wisdom, though wisdom, if it is appropriate wisdom, doesn't make any difference where the source is if we can use it to benefit ourselves. Solomon was practical in his search because he formulated some objectives as he searched for the truth so he could recognize. I want us to notice some of those objectives. He wanted to know wisdom and instruction. Maybe that's the very beginning, right? That's where we all ought to start. He wanted to perceive the words of understanding. To perceive means to become knowledgeable or understanding of something, to recognize it for what it is. He wanted to receive the instruction of wisdom, of justice, of judgment, and of equity. We see that throughout the Proverbs, right? He wanted to give subtly or sense to the simple. He wanted to train people. He wanted to teach people who were less knowledgeable than he was. He wanted to understand the proverb, and more importantly, he wanted to understand the interpretation of the proverb. But is that all that we need to be successful and useful to God? Let's break down these words just a little more. The word wisdom, translated in Proverbs 1, means to make the right choices at the opportune time. That's a big difference, isn't it? To make the right choice at the opportune time. Was it wise when God chose the time, Galatians 4.4, for Christ to come into the world? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It was the perfect time. It was God's wisdom presented at the opportune time, right? Now this word uh, translated instruction means discipline. Discipline. When we hear the word discipline, normally that kind of has a bad connotation to it, especially when we're younger, right? Someone needs to be disciplined. Well, really what discipline means is you're being instructed. Now, there are various forms of that instruction for sure, right? We can talk to someone. Uh, if we're dealing with children particularly, we may talk to them or we may want to institute something else that grabs their attention a little better, right? We might need to offer some kind of a corporal punishment. Uh, I've, I was fortunate. <clears throat> Nicole and I didn't have to do a whole lot of that, but we had to do some of it. And, of course, that works if it's necessary. So when we understand that, one must be disciplined or instructed if he's going to make the right choice at the opportune time, right? You may know what the right choice is. You may be able to recognize an opportune time, but unless one has been disciplined or instructed in when and how to do that, it does us no good. And of course, Solomon 
lived during the time of the old law. But surely, surely these objectives apply to us today. I think we see it in the words of Paul, 2 Corinthians 6, verse 2. He said, For he says, In an acceptable time I heard you, and in a day of salvation I helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So when we look at the idea of salvation, or we look at the idea of conversion, it is wise to act at the opportune time. And when is that? Paul said now. Today. Why is that? Yesterday's gone. We do not have tomorrow. So now is the opportune time. And when we translate that into living for God in any sense, yesterday's gone. Can we change the things we did yesterday that displease God? No. Can we change ourselves so in the opportune time of right now, we can do things to please God? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, we need to be able to talk to people and explain to them the wisdom of God, His way to become saved, His way to stay that way, and do it at the opportune time. And to do it properly. And of course, we understand uh, <clears throat> what that what that process is. We talk about it all the time. We, we ought to talk about it. We call it the plan of salvation. Jesus called it the way to come to the Father through Him. No one comes to the Father except by me, He said. And so He talked about belief in Him. Right? Having belief that Jesus is, he said, is who He said He was. And we read throughout the New Testament about how people who came to a clear understanding of who Jesus was yet they didn't want to actually put that belief into action. So it's really not belief at all. But that's what the, what the idea is, right? John 8, 24. We have to believe in Him. We have to change our lives. We're familiar with that. If we want to do anything in life, sometimes we have to alter some things about ourselves. When I was spending time in, in university, I had to alter some things about myself or I would still be there, right? I had to had to buckle down. I had to do things I didn't really want to do. I wasn't the kind of student that, say, Dr. Goldston was. You know, I was kind of a poor student. And I had to really push myself to be able to do things. I knew what I ought to do. I knew when was the best time to do it. But I had not disciplined myself in such a way to do it at the opportune time. And so I suffered for that. And so it took me a little longer to do what I needed to do. And that's called repentance. That's called changing, right? And so we need to be able to do that. We ought to be able to confess with confidence. I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That He came from heaven to earth. That He lived a perfect life. That He taught the truth. That He was murdered on the cross. He was put in a borrowed tomb. He came out three days later. And then He ascended back to the Father at the appropriate time and He reigns over the kingdom right now. I ought to be able to with confidence believe that. I ought to confidently be able to go down into the waters of baptism understanding why I need to be baptized. So my sins can be washed away, Acts twenty two sixteen. So I can be added to the body of Christ, Acts two forty seven. So I can be baptized into Christ, Galatians three twenty six. And 27, so I can rise up out of those waters 
walking in a new life, having put to death the old man of sin, Romans 6, 3, and 4, and then living a Christian life. And that's where discipline comes in. Learning that instruction, rightly dividing the Word of God and using it appropriately. You know, why is it though that some people don't want to do that? Why is it that they, in their wanting to be practical, refuse to recognize the truth? You see, Solomon wanted his readers to have the ability to perceive the words of understanding, verse 2 of our text. But a lot of people won't do that. What might hinder someone from wanting to do that? I think often it is self-imposed blindness. Now I want you to listen to another English proverb. There are none so blind as those who will not see. That makes sense, doesn't it? But that statement was made years and years before that English proverb came to light. The statement is seen in the reaction of the leaders of the Jewish community who knew who they had, who, who knew who was standing before them and they refused to see that. It may be that one hasn't paid enough attention to what's being stated. We're studying uh, church history on Sunday mornings and, and over time we gradually see people who begin to actually read the Word of God and want to come out of the denominationalism that was so prevalent at the time. And it turned into this restoration movement of which we are a part. And so sometimes people do not uh, pay attention. Some people adhere to uh, false ways of salvation. How many times have you heard we're all going to heaven, we're taking different paths? Well, that's not true. There's only one path. Jesus said it was through Him. Someone says, well, you need to say the sinner's prayer. Well, I don't know about that, but if that's what the Bible says, that's what we ought to do, right? So I think we ought to see what the Bible says about the sinner's prayer. Notice John 9, verse 31. John 9, verse 31. The man said, Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. Those aren't my words. Those are the words that were inspired that we read in the New Testament. And so what is His will? Well, that's pretty simple, isn't it? We read that in a short statement, John 14, 15. If you love Me, keep My commandments. That's His will, to simply do what He has asked us to do. I think there are so many teachings in the religious world that are, that are unnecessary. But if we're going to be practical, we're going to recognize we have to receive those things that we've just talked about. The truth, right? And then what is important? Can we just take the truth of God and simply uh, wrap it in a napkin and place it on a shelf? No, that's not what we ought to do at all. That's what the man in the parable of the pounds did. Well, what about taking that talent and that, and that great news that we've, been, that we've learned and we dig a hole and, and we bury it in, in the ground so it will be safely guarded? Well, that's not God's idea of safely guarding the truth, is it? We have to relay that to people. Solomon wanted to make sure that the reader was not gullible. That they didn't just take the word of anyone. He wanted them to perceive correctly. Instead, we are to take the word of God above all else, right? The teachings of God will make one wise if they are accepted. Solomon also had words for the wise. 
He said they will hear and they will increase in learning. I think that's probably the objective of most people in this life, or at least it ought to be, shouldn't it? To always increase in learning in some way. Do we, uh, do we have other talents aside from studying the Bible and knowing what the Bible says? Well, we ought to. After all, we need to be able to support our families, right? We need to be able to go into the world and work. As you know, for a lot of years, I worked in a body shop and I supported my family that way. Repairing and painting wrecked automobiles and trucks. So it's okay to have outside interests. It's okay to have uh, skills in another area, but we need to always be learning. I can remember when I was doing that type of work, I was forevermore being sent to a school or a class or to learn the, the latest painting techniques or to learn how to uh, straighten the frame of the, of the uh, newer vehicles. And when one grows in the truth of the knowledge, what do we do with that information? You know, normally what happens, or it was in my case, not everybody in the body shop went to the class. We sent one or two men and they came back and you know what they did? They told the rest of us what they had learned. And that's what we do with the gospel. When we grow in the knowledge of the truth, 1 Timothy 2, 4, we ought to want to tell other people about it. We ought to want to tell other people. And that's what Jesus commanded in what we know and what we call the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. I don't think it is possible to do that unless we do grow in our knowledge. We learn and we build on that foundation. If we do not grow... I think we will not be open to change when we determine and when we discover there's some things that need to be changed in our lives. Solomon's practical teaching will allow us to be rooted in the principles of God. That's our second and our last point. The first thing I think we will dedicate ourselves to when we look at the principles of God as we want to be practical is reverence toward God. Having an appreciation and a and a, a a spiritual respect of for who God is. When we revere God in His Word, we will strive to be obedient and faithful, won't we? Well, of course we will. Solomon said, "The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction." Let's think back in our own lives, growing up, the interactions we had with our parents when we were very young. Growing up, we were taught certain things and. And our parents trained us in certain ways. And and what do we remember? Well, maybe we remember when we were very young that we feared our parents that we didn't want punishment. And I'm not talking about a tyrannical fear. I'm talking about a fear of someone who has good sense, right? You're told to do something and you know if you don't, there's going to be a problem. Whether that comes in the form of a spanking or some kind of a privilege taken away. So when we begin our learning and our training under our parents, we fear them. Again, not a tyrannical fear. But what happens when we get grown and when we continue to grow? I lost my father about four years ago. And so I was about 45 years old when, when he passed away. And I was, uh, I was up there to visit him, Nicole and the girls and I were, just uh, a few days before he was in this wreck that ultimately cost him his life. Uh, this was in the 1st of January. And do you know how I interacted with my father when I saw him the last time I saw him? If he asked me to do something, I did it. I obeyed my father. Why? I didn't fear him. 
physically anymore. But I feared Him in such a way that I didn't want to displease Him. I loved Him. And I wanted to show my honor and my respect and that I revered Him in the position wherein He was. And that's exactly what happens as we grow and we learn and we learn about God. Is it okay to fear going to hell? Listen, if we don't fear going to hell, something's wrong. We ought to fear that. But is that the only reason that we follow after the laws of God? It's a very important reason, but it's not the only reason. We follow after God because as we learn more about Him and we grow to know Him, we understand what He has given us and what He gave up for us to have the things that are most important. See, when I look back over my lifetime with my father, I began to see what he gave up personally so I could have the things that were most important. And so I loved him for that. And that's why we want to be obedient to God. Not because only because we fear going to hell. We better fear that. But also because we want to go to heaven. And we want to be in heaven with him for eternity. For eternity. The word fear here is translated from a word that really means to revere. The, the, the believer holds God up where He ought to be in their lives. And that's what we ought to do. I think the world's religions are evidence that when God is not revered, the man cannot come to a knowledge of the truth. When we put more uh, stock in what some person says than what God says, I think that's a big problem. You know, Islam tells us that salvation comes from the great prophet Muhammad. But again, Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father except by me. Paul said that salvation uh, does not come by works of men, lest we ought to boast, but we do have to fulfill the works of God. And that's where we come into contact and where we accept His grace. When we do not adhere to His teachings, we do not show reverence and we do not show respect. I think it's easy to to leave a belief system in which one has not dedicated himself to. But it's very difficult to leave a belief system to uh, in which one has dedicated himself to for years and years and years. And that's why it's difficult to come out of, of a denominational uh, organization. And I understand that completely. But we need to be able to revere and to respect God enough to be able to look at it and say, you know, I need to change a few things. Satan wants us to reject God and what he has left us to learn. And Satan also has a plan. He wants us to deny God. Did God create man or did man create God? You know what Satan says? A few, uh, uh, few months ago, I was teaching a class over at the Chattanooga School of Preaching. I taught apologetics. That's one of the first things that uh, people have to say. Uh, man created God because he wanted someone to protect him. He wanted to look up to someone to take his part, to protect him from natural disaster or any other problem. So man, through his infinite wisdom, created this being God. Satan wants to destroy moral values by situation ethics and the spirit of relativism. Well, truth is relative. What your truth is may not be my truth. Well, here's the issue. God's truth is God's truth. That's what Jesus said. 
Thy words are truth. Heaven and earth will pass away, but not the truth of God. Satan wants man to deify himself by the concepts of humanism and to say that man is supreme. You know, to deny the supernatural. There's nothing greater than me. I am my own God. And that's what humanism is. That's what atheism is. Atheism is a religion. They just simply worship self. And that's what it is. But when we respect God's authority, then Satan's plan will soon come to an end. We can see how it will fall apart under scrutiny. So when we look at the idea of Solomon, and we put into effect the things that he did, we want to be practical in this life. We want to, we want to have a new year where we're doing things properly, but we have to, have to know the truth and we have to, to rely upon it. And then we need to take God's principles, if we're going to be practical, and apply them to our lives. And if we incorporate the wisdom of Solomon found in the Proverbs, and we make that application to our lives today, we can be successful in that. And I don't think there is any sense in waiting on that, is there? We don't have to wait to the end of one year and the beginning of another to do that. We ought to be able to look at ourselves continually throughout the year. And I think any successful organization, whatever that may be, does that. Paul told the Corinthians, examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. Only you know, and of course God does, whether you be in the faith. If you've never obeyed the gospel, let's begin this new year by dedicating ourselves to God in doing the things that He's asked us to do. And we've talked about how to do that. The plan of salvation, faith and repentance, confession, immersion in water and faithful living. Maybe you've done that and you've gotten off track a little bit. Businesses do that, don't they? Businesses get off track a little bit. The bottom line's not as appealing as it ought to be. And so they have to examine themselves and they have to make a few changes. That's what happens in the life of the Christian. If the Christian becomes unfaithful... He or she needs to examine his life in accordance with what God says and make those changes. How does the Christian do that who's fallen away? And we're not talking about the Christian who sins on occasion, who is walking in the light, because that person will acknowledge that sin and take care of it as he continually walks in the light. We're talking about someone who's turned his back on God and fallen back into the world. Peter, for example, when he denied the Lord three times, he did the appropriate thing. He repented. We know he did that because he wept bitterly. He dedicated and rededicated himself to God. Now Judas, on the other hand, he was sorry for what happened. But it was worldly sorrow. He went out and killed himself. He could have been a wonderful example to the rest of the world, but he chose not to do that. So we turn back to God. We repent of that sin. We confess that sin. Sometimes we have to do that publicly if it's a known sin. If it's not a known sin, we ask God privately to forgive us and He'll do that. But that's how we begin a new year and that's how we have success. If you need to answer the Lord's invitation, do that as we stand and as we sing.